Now, Harold Crick is an IRS agent who lives a fairly boring life. He eats alone, he really works alone, lives alone. And he spends his days kind of following an exact schedule where most of the time he just counts his steps or even every brushstroke as he's brushing his teeth. When one day something unexpected happens, as he's going throughout his day, he begins to hear the disembodied voice of a British woman who seems to be narrating his life. So she describes what he's doing, how he's living, and even his innermost thoughts. As you can imagine, this frustrates him, because um, he can hear it, and he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. But his anxiety reaches a new level when he hears this disembodied voice declare over him, little did Harold know that events have been set in motion that will lead to his inevitable death. Makes him freak out. And this moment of discovering that his death is coming is kind of the inciting incident that leads Harold on this journey of self-discovery. And throughout the rest of the, the story, he kind of begins to make changes in his life and rediscover as well, what does it really mean to be alive anyway? Now, you probably don't hear a disembodied British woman's voice narrating your life. But as we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning, you are going to hear a divine voice declare over you that you will die. It is inevitable. It is imminent. But you might not know when it's going to happen. My hope is that like Harold in that 2006 movie Stranger Than Fiction, if you're unfamiliar with that story, is that we will heed the divine voice of God and change how we live. So if you are able, if you would stand um, for the reading of God's word, we're going to read the first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes 9. We'll read them all because I think this is the most important time in the sermon. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which where you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. 
For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let us pray. Lord, I ask um, that we would heed your voice this morning. First, that it would be your voice that speaks, not mine. That your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word. That you would reveal what this has to say to us. That you would help us to understand the parts that are confusing or that we don't get. And that you would empower us to live out what your word calls us to. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So point number one, if you are taking notes in your bulletin this morning, is that you can expect to die unexpectedly. You can expect to die unexpectedly. So let's talk about the first part of that phrase first. You can't expect to die. This is the inescapable fact of life is that it ends. Right? We've hit this over and over as we've studied this book. But the reality of death should almost always stop us in our tracks. Should make us lay awake at night as we ponder it. And Solomon, he has spent chapter after chapter of this book trying to flesh out the implications of death. What it means for us. Verse 1, but all this I laid to heart examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man doesn't know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. He's examining this from every angle, but there's no escaping the fact that we are in the hand of God. It's like the children's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's a reference to the sovereign providence of God. It's a reminder that he is the one who is in control, and our lives are very much in his hands. But from the human perspective, sometimes it's hard to see whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. This is why some will deny God's sovereignty or his control over the world because we don't really know what God is doing. And when bad things happen, we might think that maybe God dropped us. It's beyond our understanding like we talked about last week in chapter 8. Since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, the same event happens to all of us. He's using euphemisms here, but we know what he's talking about. And the event that's coming is death. And it comes for us whether you are SVP or not. It's on its way. You don't got to put it on your calendar. You don't need to remember that it's coming. All of us can expect to die. Not just some of us, but all of us. Whether we follow Jesus or not. Verse 2 tells us, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice, the good one, the sinner, the one who swears, the one who shuns an oath, this is the evil that's done under sun. The same event happens to all of them. When I was a child, I think I've told this story before, my dad would sing to me a little lullaby at nighttime. It probably wasn't one that your parents sang to you. This one was called Everybody Dies. Okay, and I, just, I always thought it was hilarious, which is why I kept doing it. And it goes kind of just like it sounds. He would list and name people and then say, well, they'll, they'll die. You know, dad will die and mom will die. And, Police will die, firefighters will die, everyone's going to die. I thought it was funny. Right? The absurdity as a child just made me kind of laugh. But it's a cold, hard reality that makes us all shift uncomfortably and want to laugh at it because we don't know quite what else to do. The righteous die, the wicked die. The good die, and the bad people die. 
Those who obey God's commands will die, and those who ignore them at every turn will die. The holy die, the sinner die, the old die, and so do the young. Death comes for all of us. You can't expect to die. But before we die, we get to live, right? That's the good part. Verse 3 continues, Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, from a human perspective, it's good to be alive, because the alternative is to not be here, to be dead in the ground. This is why it says a living dog is better than that dead lion. Okay, from our perspective, on this side of eternity, it's better to have a heart full of evil and badness, but to be alive than to be righteous and dead. Because at least if I'm, I'm alive. Now, why would he say this? Verse 5 and 6 gives us the answer. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. They have no more reward. For the memory of them, it's forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy, it's already perished. Forever they have no more share of what's done under the sun. See, when you're alive, at least you know that you will die. Your story isn't yet finished. But when you're dead, that's it. There's no more second chances. There's no more trying again. And all that we carry with us, our love, all the things that we enjoy and find beautiful, even all of our hatred, our sins, when we die, our stories are done. It's not a sequel. You're not coming back, it seems. And the finality of death on this side of eternity is what makes it so terrible. But that end will come. The problem is we don't always see it coming. Okay, most stories, you, you kind of know when you're getting to the end, when you're heading towards that conclusion. If you're reading a book, you can look and see how many pages you have left. Okay, and I listen to a lot of books as well. One thing I like about that is it tells me exactly how many minutes I have till we get to the end of the book. No matter how fast or slow I'm reading, it'll adjust and let me know where I'm at. And knowing while the end is coming, it, it kind of gives me some comfort when I'm engaging the story, right? Gives me some hope. Okay, well, things are really bad now, but i got eight hours left in this book. So, okay, there's time to turn this around. But it also lets me know that, wow, okay, we're really suffering here. And, wow, there's 20 hours left in the book. Okay, I guess it's going to be about 20 more hours of suffering until maybe things get a little better. But there's no tracker like that for our lives. Our lives are like races, but you never know when the finish line's coming. You will only see it after you've passed it. Verse 10, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to all of them, for man does not know his time. None of us know our times. You can expect you're going to die, but you can expect it's going to be unexpected on the day that it comes. Okay, being fast or strong or rich or smart is going to help you escape it. Nor is it going to help you that much when it gets here. See, the race of life, it's, it's not really won by those who are fast, but by those who run to Jesus. Battle of life isn't won by the strongest, but those who find their strength in God. Daily sustenance and our daily bread, it's not won by the wisest in the world, but by those who embrace the foolishness of the gospel and ask their father for it. Riches aren't won by the smartest, but those who live generously who, because we found the pearl of greatest price. And favor is not found by those who know everything, but by those who know Jesus as their Savior and find favor in His eyes. But again, the problem all of us, we're going to die. 
But the most important thing after you die is not whether is whether or not you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope. Because the rich and strong and wise will all fade. Verse 12, like a fish that are taking an evil net and birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Okay, no fish expects to be caught on a hook when they take a bite of their dinner. No bird flying through the air thinks they're going to get caught by a net or get shot today by somebody who went out hunting. And none of us wake up thinking, well, today's probably the day I'll die in a car wreck or have a heart attack or just pass out and never wake up. It comes unexpectedly. At the beginning of the story or sermon, I mentioned the story of Harold Crick. And kind of throughout the story, he makes all these changes to his life. Right, he learns kind of to loosen up, how to have relationships with people, how to have fun. He even follows some of his dreams. He learns to play the guitar, which he always wanted to do. And most of all, right, because it's a story, he falls in love. But it's at this moment when everything is going really well, he comes to find out that his imminent death is, is here. Now's the time. And he kind of has this somewhat profound moment where just through tears he's crying and saying, well, this is just a really bad time right now. Finally, when he's beginning to live his life, this is when it's going to end. Well, the reality is for all of us that your death is probably going to come at a really bad time. Probably come when you don't expect it, when you don't want it, when you've got a lot of things left to do on your list. But it comes. We should live like it's going to come and we shouldn't be surprised when it shows up unexpectedly. But I mean, if that's true, what can we do? Do we just fall into resignation or depression? Do we just make the most of it? Well, our second point is this. Um, you can expect today to be a fulfillment or a foretaste. You can expect today to be a fulfillment or a foretaste. I'm going to try and explain what I mean by that. Um, the reality is that we have a choice. Okay, we might die tomorrow. You might die today. So what can we do? For the sixth time in this book, and he's going to do it one other time as well, he gives us this refrain of just enjoy today. And every time he's had a little bit of a different twist on it. But today he tells us, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it by eating your bread with joy. Enjoy it by drinking your wine with a merry heart. Enjoy it by wearing white garments, because white's a symbol of joy, right, rather than lament. Enjoy life by always having oil on your head, because it's a sign of abundance and things going well. Enjoy your spouse or your family or the loving relationships that you have. And he says then too, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever you can do that's enjoyable, just enjoy it, whatever it is you're doing. But there's different ways we can enjoy all of these things. What I want you to see is that you can either enjoy these things and find them as your fulfillment or just as a foretaste of what's to come. What do I mean by fulfillment? Well, I mean that all those things that we enjoy in life, we could enjoy them as if they're all we're ever going to get. Say if you're going to die, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? This way of living would choose to embrace the gifts of today as if they're fulfillment of all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all our desires. It's kind of the idea, right, of like bucket list living. You get a list of wonderful things you want to experience before it's your time. Things like climbing a mountain, drinking wine in Tuscany, or writing that novel. We might try to do all that we can before death comes, because after that the story's over. So I, I want to be fulfilled now. There's a problem with that kind of living, isn't there? 
It's a problem Solomon's told us about over and over throughout this book. He's already explained it. These things aren't going to work. No relationship, romantic or otherwise, is really going to fix your loneliness. No meal, no matter how good, will ever satisfy your hunger completely. No amount of money will satisfy your greed, and no drug will keep you high forever. There's always another experience to chase. There's always another place to travel to. Okay, I've never seen any travel blogger or influencer say, well, okay, I'm done. I've seen everything now. Okay, and I read a lot. I, you know, I usually try to read 100 books a year. I've read 146 so far. Okay, I don't say that to, to be really impressive, but you know what I feel at the end of that? Okay, I feel, wow, I have even more books that I haven't read yet than when I started. I feel like I'm never going to finish. Okay, because people keep writing books. And no matter how fast I read, and no matter how fast I read all the books I want to read, there's always more things. It's a never-ending chase. If you chase these things and enjoy them as fulfillment, it will not fulfill you. If you believe that today you can meet all your needs, that this book or this experience, it'll fulfill, it'll satisfy you, you're always going to be disappointed. And so much of our anger and our sin in life really is rooted out of this disappointment with the way that things don't fulfill us. But some, they might embrace today's fulfillment right with foolish joy, thinking it will work. There are others who will embrace today's fulfillment not with joy, but with despair. Thinking, well, this is as good as it gets, so, oh well. I guess I'll drink a lot. I guess I'll just go do, do this, because who cares? Knowing, well, it's really not going to fulfill the void in my heart, but I might as well kind of enjoy it for a minute till it gets bad again. But there's another choice we can make. Instead of expecting today to fulfill all of your desires, instead of making idols out of the gifts of God, we can instead expect today to be a foretaste of eternity with Jesus. Okay, what I'm, what I'm talking about here, it's not a kind of Christianity that looks at today and say, well, we're going to die and we'll go to heaven and that'll be good. Then we'll get to experience what life is supposed to be. It's a kind of faith that embraces today, not because this is the end, but knowing, hey, this is just the beginning of what's to come. It's a faith that we taste the good things of God and we know that they are just a meager sample of what He has coming for us. That they're an appetizer that we can dig into and marvel at knowing while the chef is going to send the main course and it's going to be even better. And I really do, we can believe, we can do this with small things, even like food and drink. That's why He tells us, eat your bread with joy. Don't eat it thinking this bread is going to give your life meaning, but... Eat it knowing one day you're going to get to eat bread with Jesus as he sits across the table from you. Drink your wine with a merry heart, not because this wine is going to fix your problems, because it's amazing that God made something like this. And one day we'll get to feast and to drink with him. Wear white, not because life is always so easy and happy, but because there's plenty of good in the world. And one day when Jesus returns, he's going to cast out all of the evil and lament and sadness from it. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, not because marriage is what gives life meaning, but because we were made to be in relationship with each other. That is good. And in eternity, we're going to get to experience all of the beauty of friendships and relationships with none of the heartbreak of sin and disappointment. What if before we, you know, we prayed for our meals today, we didn't just thank God for giving us the ability to eat, but we just thanked Him for letting it taste so wonderful and be so delicious. It feels so good. I want you to think for a minute of the best meal you've ever had. Okay, see if you can picture it. Maybe you don't have one. Pick your top five. Just 
think of one. Okay, for me, one of the best meals I ever had, probably the best one, it was in Dallas. It was one of our first anniversaries when we got married. And we went to a fancy restaurant that we couldn't regularly afford because, you know, we got to be special here. And I got this filet that had a mac and cheese crust over a bowl of grits. And I really love grits. I eat grits every day. Maybe that's not your best meal. This was mine. It's okay. You have your own. Okay, and Brianna, she ordered a bacon-wrapped jalapeno-stuffed quail. Okay, when she ordered, I didn't even know people could eat quail, but you can, and it was delicious. Okay, and we ate there years ago, but I still, when I close my eyes, I can picture the way that looked and the way that it tasted on my lips. Okay, think of your best meal. Savor it. And know that how good that tasted is just a tiny fraction of how good things will be in the life to come when Jesus returns. So man, eat, make great food and praise God for it and enjoy it and just enjoy it not thinking this is the greatest thing you'll ever get but knowing this is just a sample of what is to come. This is why as followers of Jesus we can live confident lives even in the face of death. That we don't have to try and squeeze every moment of joy or everything that we can get into today because we might die tomorrow. But knowing, well, I might die tomorrow, but that's okay. I know what's coming. This is just a foretaste of what we'll be after. God has already appointed what He has given. When it says that God's already approved of what you do, He doesn't mean He's stamping His approval in every decision you make in life. It means He's giving us a sample of it. He's already chosen what it's going to be, whether you, you like it or not. So take it and eat it. Enjoy the spouse or the families or whatever relationship it is that God has blessed you with and given you. It's your portion. It's a gift and a blessing that you can enjoy today. Know that heaven and eternity, they're not just far off into the future eventually. Don't just wait to see it when you die or when Jesus returns. Right Earlier in Ecclesiastes, he tells us, God has written eternity on man's heart. And when we eat and when we drink, if we do it rightly, we can experience it as a foretaste of eternity. And it can allow us to enjoy the finite moments right now. We can enjoy it not thinking it'll satisfy us, but just enjoying the God who made it. And we can do whatever it is God's given us to do, knowing it's just the beginning, and He'll give us other things to do in the future as well. This isn't all there is. It's just a foretaste of the life and of the many adventures that there are to come. You might ask me, how can I do that? Or how can I do that when death is all around us? How can I do that when thinking about my own death gives me anxiety? Well, we can do this with hope because of point number three. And point number three is that you can expect a death to die. You can expect a death to die. This is our hope. And this is how we can enjoy today as a foretaste. This is how we can grieve as f at funerals with those who have hope in First Thessalonians. All of us in this room know we're going to die, but we know who else is going to die. Death. One day death itself will die. Should you hear me, church family? Death's days are numbered. They're numbered. Would you turn, if you want in your Bible, to... Isaiah 25. As pastors are called to worship this morning, it describes the prophetic hope of the death of death that's fulfilled in Jesus. We'll start in verse 7. We'll back up to 6 before. But starting at 7, it says, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, that veil that is spread over all nations. 
So what is it that is, that is covering, that is cast, that, that fades people? What is that veil? What is it that has haunted humanity ever since we were exiled out of the Garden of Eden? It's a great problem that we've read about chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter in this book of Ecclesiastes. It is death. And that great and terrible power one day will come face to face with Jesus for round two. See, death thought that it conquered Jesus on the cross. Satan and death thought that they had beaten God. But Jesus ran right out of that grave. Because death had no power over him. He can come and he can go as he pleases. And one day Jesus will return for a rematch. I mean, he already won the first time. But he's going to come back and he'll give death that knockout blow. Look at verse 8. And he will swallow up death forever. The fish swallowed Jonah, but three days later it had to spit him back out. Okay, the grave swallowed Jesus. But three days later it had to spit him back out. But Jesus is going to swallow death. And he's never spitting it back out. It's done. He'll swallow it up like a snack or a piece of Halloween candy. And death will be done forever. And then God himself will wipe away all of our tears and our pain forevermore. And you'll never have to go to another funeral. You'll never have to visit the grave of another loved one. You'll never have to long and remember someone who is no longer here. Because the only thing gone is death and sin. And Jesus himself, when he, when he returns, he will take away all of our reproach and our sin and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth. Listen, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. This is, we are reborn, we're regenerated. He doesn't just take away the guilt of our sin. He gives us a new nature. But we still have that sinful nature in us as well. But when Jesus returns, that is disappearing too. He will wash us white as snow. What do you think we're going to do on that day after Jesus does all that? I think we'll just say, oh, cool, thanks. Great. I can kind of get back to what I was doing before you showed up. I've got things on my list, Jesus. No, we're going to celebrate. It's time to party. It's time to feast. It's time for joy. And in verse 6, so Jesus is going to throw the greatest feast we've ever had on this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. It's going to be a feast filled with good food. Okay, the one time Jesus went to a wedding in John 3... He brought good wine made out of water. I read that one to my boys this morning. And people who were there said, wow, usually people you know, give the good wine right away, but this is the best. And here it is at the end. Okay, Jesus did that just with some water last minute at a wedding because his mother asked him to. What kind of wine do you think he's going to prepare at this feast? At the end? For the last victory? After all his enemies and sin and death and all sad things have been conquered and banished forever. 
And he's daring to call it well-aged wine, good wine, twice in a row. Okay, it's probably going to be really good. Okay, I, I honestly, I don't even like wine very much at all. I really, I just don't. I've tried a lot of it. Okay, I just, I don't care for it. I have a feeling at this feast, I don't think I'm going to taste it and say, ah, sorry, Jesus, I'm not really a wine guy. <laughs> do, do you have some cider? That, that's really what, what I would prefer. I think Jesus' wine is going to be really good. And I think all of us are going to like it, even if you're, you don't drink. When, when we're here in Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be okay. Okay, when I said that every meal is a foretaste of what is to come, this is the meal I'm talking about. This is the meal that Jesus is preparing, and what a glorious celebration that is going to be. Okay, when we gather with all those saints, when we gather with those who, who love Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus, when we gather with those whose stories of faithfulness, of obedience to Jesus have inspired us and that we've only heard of, and we'll get to sit and eat and drink with them as we toast our Savior. And we'll celebrate because death is dead. But it's not dead yet. In verse 9, it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God that we have waited for, that He might save us. This is the God, and we have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. On one day we will feast and drink and laugh and dance, but for now we wait. But we wait in hope. It is not a vain hope. It is not an empty hope. It is not an overly optimistic hope as if suffering and death won't ever reach us if we just have enough faith. No, it's going to come. And it probably will get all of us. Sometimes we hope through our tears. Sometimes we hope in the midst of unimaginable suffering. We don't understand. But we hope not because of some inner quality we might have. We don't hope because we have such great faith. We hope because we know that Jesus is coming. And we're waiting for Him. We know that Jesus beat death once. And we hope He's going to do it again when He comes back. But for now we have to wait. But church family, we can face death. And we can face even our own deaths. Knowing it will not win. It has no victory. And it has no sting. Love, if we put our faith in Jesus, one day we will say that same thing about death. There are times we can hear those scriptures read at a funeral and we can say, what do you mean, where is it sting? I feel it. It's right here. What do you mean it's victory? This feels like a loss and a defeat. But one day, when you die, after you close your eyes and you open them again and see Jesus, then you will say, oh, death, where was your sting? Where was your victory? Huh, that, that's it. That's all you had. All I see is Jesus. That's our hope. So where have we been this morning? Well, we can... We can expect to die unexpectedly. 
And we can expect that today will either be the fulfillment of all of our dreams and all of our hopes and desires, or we can see it just as a foretaste of the great feast that is to come in eternity. And through faith in Jesus, we can expect that death will die. For those who love and who trust him, we will get to live forever. So let's put our faith in Jesus, the God who conquers death. I'm going to close us in, in prayer, and then we're going to kind of transition to a time of communion. Lord, I, I praise you that you are the God who conquers death. Lord, there are, there are moments that death feels so heavy when it weighs on us. As we watch it steal those we love, as we watch it sting those we care about, and as we see it crouching on our doors, and it can be hard to have hope, Jesus, but we wait. We wait in hope. We know that you are our only hope, our only hope in life, and our only hope in death. Jesus, would you help us to have faith? Would you help us to be able to face the coming reality of our own deaths, not with fear, not with anxiety, not with worry. But would you help us to face them with confident hope? Not that we won't die, but that we will live again because of you, Jesus. And we ask for your help because without your Holy Spirit, without your aid, we can't do it on our own. On our own, we just chase everything in this life and wonder why we're so disappointed. Help us, Lord Jesus, because you are the God who conquers death. And we cannot wait for you to do it again. We pray this in your holy and in your precious name. Amen. Won't you stand one last time as we have our worship team come and lead us um, in praising our Savior. Amen. The, the blood of Jesus is powerful. It washes away all your sins, washes you white as snow. And our benediction for Hebrews reminds us that it also equips us with everything we need. Here's benediction from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.